during this period of Lent, the 40 days before Easter, we've been looking at the appearances of Jesus. And last week, we looked at the appearance of Jesus, a resurrected Jesus who first appeared again in the flesh after being crucified and then buried for three days to Mary, to a woman. And now she has rushed back to the disciples in verse uh, 18, and she says, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said all these things to her. But they still had not seen the Lord. And then in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Jesus came. It was a very, very long first day back. But what difference does the appearance of the Lord make? And what difference does it make not simply in their lives, but our lives as well? That's the question before us this morning. This morning I want to give you two gifts. And the two gifts are not from me, but they're from the great gift giver, the Holy Spirit, which is the very spirit of Jesus Christ. Now these two gifts I do have in my possession. And I'm authorized to give both of these gifts to you this morning. In fact, I could say that I was expressly told or sent to bring them to you today. Now let me be clear that I'm just a messenger and I'm not the manufacturer of these gifts. I did not make these two gifts with my own hands, but I received them already completely put together. I did not shop for these two gifts as someone else chose them personally for you. I did not pay for these two gifts at my own expense as someone else paid a very high price for you to receive them. And finally, I must confess, the desire to give you these gifts was not original with me. It was someone else's strong desire that you get both of them this morning. And I'm the FedEx delivery person who jumps from the truck and I gives you I give you your two gifts. Now FedEx doesn't know inside of your home the trials, the fears, the feelings of loneliness, feeling very small in this world, maybe even useless that you feel inside of your home. But the gift giver knows, and he's purchased two gifts at his expense with those things in mind. Those two gifts that I now want to place in your hands are the gifts of his peace and the gift or the gift of his mission. And they come to every disciple, not just a chosen few, but they come from a risen Savior, and they come when He appears to the eyes of our heart again. So, right now, right here in this auditorium, I want us all to behold His coming to us again. I want us to see His wounds again. I want us to hear Him speak peace to our hearts Again, I want to experience the fresh wind 
for that Holy Spirit's breath on me again. I want to be called into a life of purpose and meaning at my Savior's side, serving along, praying, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Not my will be done again. And that can be the transforming result of these two gifts again at work, transforming my heart from all of its fears and all of its its hiding and containment to experience peace whenever I see Jesus again. So I want you to see a risen Jesus in a way that is greater than if he were even here physically. You'll all know his appearing by the two gifts this morning that he brought to his disciples. Now notice as we begin first, I need to take a few moments, spend some time in the setting. Look at verse 19. Here's what we know. It's the first day of the week. It's our Sunday. Saturday was the Holy Sabbath. From this point on, we as Christians celebrate Sunday as our Sabbath because it's the day of His rising. It's the day of His appearing. So Sunday in our week is the first day. Sunday out of all days should be the day that we can most expect to experience and see spiritually our risen Savior again. A living Jesus, not a historic Jesus. But we find these disciples behind locked doors from fear of what others might be thinking or worse, do if they should be labeled and found out to be Christ followers. I mean, their rabbi had been dealt with by death and a cruel death, the most cruel death, and they had witnessed it. And there they are found by Jesus who comes in to that place where they in fear huddled like rabbits and he appears standing alive in the middle of the room. Now a couple of observations before you see the first gift that he brought to his disciples. If you're going to properly desire and receive the first gift, you need to look and note a couple of things. Observation number one, we don't know how Jesus got in, okay? We don't know if, if like Peter being in jail and Acts, that the door just supernaturally unlocked. No matter how barred, how many of those clasps were on it, they just all go and come off and the door swings open, Jesus comes in. Or that Jesus in his glorified body went through. His substance was greater than wood, and he went through the door. We don't know. Observation number two. Their state of mind that they they were afraid. They were afraid of death. They were afraid of being found out as Christians. They were secret Christians at this point. They were not about to share their testimony. They were not about to let anyone know outside of that room that they spent time and they walked with Rabbi Jesus as a disciple. Observation number three. Everyone to a man in that room had deserted 
and run away from Jesus in his most desperate moment. Observation number four. Jesus came to them instead of them going and seeking out Jesus. Jesus initiated no door to keep him out. Their desertion and their fears could not keep him out. He sought fellowship with them. He sought to restore that fellowship from the very ones who had broken it with him. Jesus initiated that. Last observation, Jesus was visible. I mean, it seems obvious, right? But note that he's visible and he was in the center of the room. And the word for stood among, as it says, he stood among them and said to them, that word for stood among is middle. So uh, everybody could see him, apart from Thomas, who we'll look at next week because he was absent. Scholars see a picture here, by the way, of the two spheres of man that he must choose from. Man, me, you, must choose to either fear man or fear God. If we fear men then we're called man-centered. If we fear God, that is, revere Him, see Him as the greater power, the, the, the God of our life, the King over our life, that we revere Him, we respect Him, we worship, we bend to need Him, we fear Him, then we are Christ-centered. And this room represents a church with disciples, with Jesus now in their center. And these disciples are now being reoriented once again. The shift that has taken place is they are like an earthquake. A transformation is taking place where they're going from their fear of man because they're man-centered and only thinking about the opinions or the hatred or the lack of acceptance of others to being God-centered, who is now in their center. Now, with these observations, I'm confident that you'll see the staggering significance of the gift that Jesus came back from the dead to bring. He did not condemn them, but he blessed them. That's the gift there in a nutshell. It's the gift of peace. He came back and he didn't scorch them. Didn't, didn't even chide them. He came back to bless them. Amazing, amazing mercy and grace this is. Jesus spoke shalom to them as a benediction with power, as it's a blessing from God's own lips to his disciples in their great want and need. Now, shalom from Jesus to one of his own is not like a greeting that a friend gives. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not just, peace man, peace out. Hello, hope all is well. 
have a good day. It is like, you will have a good day. You will have peace. My peace I give to you. I bring you peace from the Father with the Father. Do you hear this this morning as Jesus' constant greeting to you? His followers, his followers receive this not as a greeting, but as a gift. Peace is made with God. That's how they take it. He wants you to receive this gift. He wants your hearts to be troubled no longer, to not let anything make you afraid. He doesn't want you to fear what others are going to think or even what they might do to you. He wants you to be unashamed of Him. He doesn't want you any longer behind closed, double-locked doors of secrecy and fear where you live, where you work, where you play. He wants you to be unbounded. He wants you to be Christ-centered once again. Well, what will He speak to you? You know, you've denied Him in both disobedience, and I too, even like Peter at times, have verbally denied Him. When you next meet Christ, when you stand before God even, will He condemn you? or at the least scold you. And how can one really know he will not rightfully parade all of your denials and all of your desertions, the times that you've been ruled by fears, all your sin that you did to try to quay those fears? Here's what I say. Look at the gift bag. Now, let me say that I personally favor gift bags and gift boxes. And if you get a gift from me, it will be in a bag instead of tightly and beautifully wrapped like they do professionally in a store. I like the bag. In fact, I often store the gift that I receive in the bag or in the box. And I can look at a unique gift bag on a shelf in my closet and one look at that bag and I can tell you the gift that it contains. So if if you'll forgive me, a very common illustration of a great divine truth The gift bag of Jesus' wounds contains and communicates the gift of peace to every one of us. This is how we know that we have peace, the wounds of Christ. This is how we know that we have peace with God. By His wounds, that breach of fellowship is restored. By His wounds, we are healed. By His wounds, the fellowship that was broken from the fall on has now been restored. My fears of men, of God, of death, of facing trials in this life are all transformed now by that gift. I'm transformed from my fears to peace. Now, there's... A couple of things that I want to um, I want to show you before I leave this point, and I want to encourage you to just take away some of these ideas as far as application for yourself. I want you to see, first of all, what a great place it is 
to find a quiet place to deal with your doubts and your fears. For when you're shut up behind doors without distractions in the quiet, Jesus will meet you there. Even with your fears and your doubts, He will come to you. And you will soon forget your fears as your doubts in that time will turn into rejoicing at His renewed appearing. I know this sounds rather mystical, but find a room, shut the door, pray. Matthew 6 says, And your Father, if you do those things, who sees in secret will reward you with himself. He will come to you. This is my testimony. While I was in college, I prayed for God to make himself real to me. I wanted to see Jesus if he were real. I prayed. I think I was the most frightened person in the world as I prayed. And I wasn't frightened about God appearing. I was frightened the whole time that one of my classmates would enter into my room and laugh at me talking to God who was unseen on my knee. But I want to tell you that though he did not appear physically, something changed in that prayer. I A shift took place. I shifted my allegiance from man to God. The center of my being shifted from man at the center and me to Christ at the center and He. And I went from fear to almost complete fearlessness. My affections had changed. Jesus had become real to me. Though never appearing physically, He had come to me. And he met every one of my fears and my doubts. And I would have plenty of days of doubt and struggling with unbelief. But I would shut my door in my room. I would go to a room. I would bar the door. And I would pray. And I would pray my doubts. I would pray my unbelief. I would pray. Are you getting my point? Jesus was not reluctant to meet me with my fears. He didn't say, get your act together, and I only meet men and women of faith. No, he's drawn to fearful hearts. He's drawn to even doubting hearts who dare pray in the room to him. He comes. He comes. Secondly, let me tell you that while it seems rather mystical, I've never found a believer or a disciple who has said otherwise that when you pray regularly, when you listen to God's Word as you read it, when you even, wherever you live, work, and play, seem, sometimes you're seemingly a a word, a voice speaks to you without even being solicited, you hear Jesus speak to you. That's not the devil. That's not your own mind. Even though you would fail the MMPI at this point, they would think that you're crazy, that you hear things from God. 
but Jesus still speaks peace to our hearts. And he speaks it, I think, when we're most troubled. He speaks it. It's just a word. Shalom. Peace. It is well. It should be well with your soul. The sight circumstances, they're not changing, but it's well with your soul. Things are right now with God. Peace. And then thirdly, I want to invite him and ask you to invite him to show you his wounds. Now, this is not a casual contemplation. And I, if you will pardon me, I I have been listening to Catholic radio lately. I hearing Lent, I always give up something, I always start something. And so I gave up the news. I'm a news junkie. Oh, I'll read the paper first thing in the morning. I will, um, if I'm in a vehicle and, and, and have an opportunity of not making a phone call or two, then I'll listen to the news or I'll talk radio on the news. So I gave up the news. And I found, well, I'm going to listen to Christian music. I very rarely listen to Christian music. And then I said, well, you know what? I'm, I want to listen to sermons on the radio, not just on podcasts. And so it's kind of hard to find on Christian radio sermons, but you can go to the Catholic channel, and they very rarely play music. It's always, they're always talking about something about theology or giving a homily. Now, I have to tell you that particularly during Lent, it's quite admirable and attractive as to how they focus on the wounds of Christ. And I think as Protestants, we we could learn something there. That we just don't think, oh, he was wounded, pierced hands, pierced feet, pierced side. But we actually realize when we look at those wounds for all that they communicate. That's what we're going to do in just a few moments here. I'm presenting to you the very wounds of Christ as portrayed in the wine and the bread. And you're handling those wounds. And those wounds communicate to us through the Holy Spirit as a means of grace. Those wounds of Christ when we contemplate them, when we think deeply of them, We see Jesus as our great rescuer. We elevate him as a hero. We come not to see uh, and turn away from those wounds and say, how gory, but we look at them and say, those are the scars he's taking, the stripes that he's taking for me. That's him as he is fighting evil and sin, and he's even taking on the wrath of God for me. And those wounds, those wounds strengthen us. Ask God to show you those wounds, to show you the gift bag, for those wounds contain and communicate everything, all the theology you need to know about how your peace is both accomplished and applied. By His shed blood we are forgiven, but it's by His shed blood that we are continually, just like the sacrifice before the altar, That shed blood of the animal, the blood was then put upon the altar, the mercy seat. Some blood would be even sprinkled upon the people uh, who are the offenders. 
But the, that we're constantly, even now, being sanctified by the very wounds, by the very shed blood of Christ. Now, the second gift of mission very quickly and very naturally follows the gift of peace. It makes sense, doesn't it, though? That if the peace with God is actually true, then this new reality must be sent out into the whole world. As Jack Miller used to say, a song has to go someplace. In verse 21, the peace, the gift of peace, is given a second time. And so we see the emphasis of the indicative preceding the imperative. It's, it's a communicating of love first. Peace. Everything's right with God. Then communicating duty or obedience. We obey from first being loved. We don't obey, then we are loved. Critical difference. Jesus gives first the gift of peace and then the second gift of a command to go on a mission. We see this in Exodus 20 when God gives his people the Ten Commandments, but first he rehearses again that he is their faithful, steadfast, loving God who released them from the bondage of their slavery. And he is now giving them freedom. Then he gives them commands. Jesus is sending his disciples on his mission just as he was sent. In John 17, 18, Jesus prayed to God, As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This may at first sound like a bit much. Do this exercise with me. Take John 3, 16 and replace gave his only son with his sons and daughters. For God so loved the world that he gave his sons and daughters that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do we dare say that? This is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're the body of Christ. Now, we, we use that most frequently as a synonym for what we have this morning. We're the body of Christ, his church at Two Rivers. But Matthew 10.40 says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So we are pieces of that body, little embodiments, the incarnation. The very word Christian means little Christ. So when you leave here this morning, you haven't left the body of Christ in the world as you go out. You are the body of Christ. You are Christ in the world. His representative. This, this gift that he gives to us is a gift that sends us out. You see, the gift of peace, I can take that, and I really like that. 
But with that comes another gift attached. And it's a powerful, powerful gift. As we're going to see in just a moment in closing, the power that we have in this gift of his mission. But he is, in giving this gift, there's an instruction with it. Out. The gift of peace, I can enjoy that in my room and in private. I can enjoy that wherever I live, work, and play and never do anything in the world with it. This gift deploys me. It's like Abraham being, Abraham, I am going to be your God. That is great. Out, leave, go. Now, two quick points before I leave verse 21. First of all, observe that he's commissioning all disciples and not just ministers. You're not off the hook. All the disciples. If you're his disciple, you're on his mission, not just us ordainees. Second, we are on his mission with him, and so we're not alone. Nor do we design the mission on our own. This is our instruction. It gives us more specific details from his own mouth. We have other words from Jesus in this Bible to direct us how to do, as Francis Schaeffer put it, the Lord's work in the Lord's way. But we are all in this together on the mission. Are you on his mission? Do you see in receiving this that he is sending you? Or do you think he's sending others? And it is two rivers as his disciples. I want you to see it's a great privilege. It's just not one more thing to do in your week or in your life. You're probably being, like me at times, far more man-centered than Christ-centered. I've kind of pushed him to the side of the room instead of him remaining in the center of the room if my agenda becomes greater than his agenda. Better to have both conform so that my agenda becomes his agenda and his agenda becomes my agenda. That I would look at work not simply as a vocation, but as my mission. Every member becomes a missionary wherever we live, work, and play. Now this mission has a qualification with it and a need of power. And I don't say that the power of the Holy Spirit that he's giving them is a gift. We can call that the gift of the Holy Spirit. But see that the gift is the gift of peace and the gift of mission. And the power in this gift to be sent out on mission comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 22 says, And when he had said this, then he breathed on them. So he says, I'm sending you out. Just like the Father sent me from heaven to earth, then now the Father through me is going to send you. So it's still my mission. You're on a co-mission with me. You're now going to share my glory. We're in this together. I'm sending you out. And when he had said that, he says, and now let me give you the Holy Spirit. Just like he possessed the Holy Spirit. And then he breathed on them. So the word means to inspire or breathe life, giving air into someone dead. And scholars believe that John when he composed this gospel years after the event, that he had two texts 
in mind. He had Genesis 2-7, where the first man, Adam, God breathed into his nostrils, and he had life. He was perfect. And then Ezekiel 37, verse 9, which says, Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And then I like verse 10, which we don't have. It shows the result when this breath comes upon these dry bones. In other words, you have bodies even now, but there's no life until the Holy Spirit, the very breath from God, comes upon them. And then in Ezekiel 37.10, it says, The breath came into them, and they live. They're living. They, they now have life. They stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes for me to be a part of this army, to be a part of God's mission, not simply for my own peace and tranquility or my own agenda. So Jesus breathes now on his disciple, new life, new creation, and that for the purpose to go out as a great army on his mission. And I just have to ask, has God done this for you? Do you have the Holy Spirit? And it's just really easy to assume. It's just really to, easy to assume, particularly in a church our size. But I would tell you that God alone can give you the Holy Spirit. And if you've been finding that you're just constantly, constantly fatigued in this thing, trying to do the Christian life, our work, then ask for Him to breathe afresh and anew the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit into your life. For you see, that's Jesus with us just like He was with the disciples then. That's, the, that's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His ascension, His being at the right hand of God and sending the Spirit to us is now better than if He were with us physically. Physically binds Him to a small group of 12 disciples or 40 here or 5,000 on the mountainside here, but it binds him in locale, but not with his spirit. Jesus with you. What a great gift. But he comes for us to be on mission, to go where he leads us into mission with him. Your risen Savior is with you. He's on mission with you. Now, the mission has a lot of details as to what it looks like. And that's another sermon. But Jesus summarizes his mission in verse 23. In verse 23, he says, here's the mission. If you forgive the sins of anyone, then they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's withheld. And this can initially be confusing. But let me try to, with a very simple illustration, tell you what Jesus is communicating to us as disciples who receive the gift of his peace and receive the gift now of his mission, on mission with him. 
this chalice contains wine. And this wine has properties. It has the property to bring joy. Light to your eyes, laughter to your lips. This wine has a, 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 a property to strengthen your heart. I didn't crush the grapes to make this wine. I am a holder of the chalice, of the container. The wine represents Jesus' blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. When a leader in this church, an elder or a deacon, holds this cup out to you, they are holding out forgiveness to you. They're, they're holding it out. And as they hold it out, they are not the forgiveness. They are not forgiving you. They didn't manufacture forgiveness. But if they withhold it, they're withholding forgiveness from you. You're either treating it with disdain, the gift, and you don't want it, you don't appreciate it, you don't value it, and they withhold it. Or perhaps we withhold it because we never shared the forgiveness that we've come to experience on our own, the peace that is ours. He's simply saying to the disciples, you are chalices. You're chalices holding my peace. Go forth and tell. Go forth and lead. Go forth and walk in that. And share that with others all along the way. And don't withhold it. Don't withhold it from those whose hearts are still very bound with fear from the guilt and the shame and the distance and the alienation that they feel from God or even you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this table communicates your wounds. I pray this morning that as we approach this table, we would see this as a table where we celebrate you as our great peacemaker with God. And that these, this bread or this cup will strengthen us, even fill us, that we might leave this place on a mission to overflow and to spill over into other lives that need to be reminded that all forgiveness rests with you. Good news, good news, you have brought peace to the world. And we also at times may pray after or even warn those that are not finding or wanting forgiveness that is found only in you. So Lord, take this bread, take this cup, set it aside from its common purpose and use it for a very, very sacred purpose this morning to strengthen our hearts that we might see you in these elements and be made full. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.